So, hello everyone, <coughs> and welcome to uh, another edition of V Radio, a long-waited one. I actually was looking at my blog talk files and noticed that the last time I did a show was actually in January of last year. Um, there's a lot of reasons for the drop-off, and some of it is just that because of all the stress in my life at the time, I didn't feel that I could really give you guys the kind of quality that you had expected and at the situation with that hasn't really improved. If anything, it's kind of gotten worse. But I have decided that I needed to do something, uh, and this was where I decided to go. Um, first of all, before I really go into anything else, um, v-radio.org is currently down, and probably will be for the foreseeable future. I'm going to be using my blogger account as kind of a base and obviously my fans of V-Radio Facebook group on Facebook is still also a great point of contact about the show and anything related to it. Um, So, all of that out of the way, um, it's been a while since I did this. I've actually restarted this recording a few times just to be, because I wasn't satisfied. But, um, so where have I been? Over the course of the last year, Uh, I was involved in another custody battle with my ex-wife that was long and grueling and expensive and incredibly stressful and depressing. Um, The end result of it, ironically, was that after this long custody battle, when she didn't win, like, full custody that she was looking for, she just kind of dropped off the map entirely, like, just stopped talking to the kids, stopped coming to pick them up for visitations, etc., etc., so it ended up being a big fight for nothing. Um... And I guess that much is good. Um, it'd be nice if she caught up on child support, which she's almost $3,500 behind on the last time I checked. But regardless, um, that took up a huge amount of my mental energy uh, because I basically act as my own lawyer, so I have to do all my own research. And uh, Whenever I'm in a situation like that, it's just like having a gun to the back of your head all the time, and it was really hard to be at my best. Uh Then I pretty much went to working two jobs, and when I say working two jobs, I should probably be a little more clear. What I discovered is that the current state of the economy, uh, when you're working in low-end jobs, you're actually better off getting two part-time jobs than one full-time job, because... It seems like all of these places that I work at like to play games with your schedule and your hours to try to force you to work whatever they want you to work, Um, and they'll just kind of drop the hours out from under you without warning in an attempt to essentially coerce you into doing whatever it is they want you to do, uh, rather than being upright and honest about it. So uh, I ended up just getting two jobs. Uh, with very limited availability at two different restaurants so that uh, whenever the the hour cutting was going on, it didn't really affect me because I was only asking for a couple of days from each job anyway. Um, And that was working pretty well for a while. And uh, more recently, a, a new restaurant opened in my neighborhood and they were hiring and they were hiring for more money an hour than I was getting paid at either of those jobs. And the guy basically convinced me, you know, yeah, just come work for us and, and we'll give you the same amount of hours and we'll pay you a little more per hour. And you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm a single dad with no reliable child care, so I have a limited availability. And, you know, he said, oh, yeah, that's no problem. And, and I said, I don't really need a ton of hours, but the hours that I need, I, I really need. And he's like, yeah, don't worry, you know, that won't be a problem at all, et cetera, et cetera. And, He more or less kind of suggested to me, for example, that I may have to leave my previous employment, um, you know, by calling in sick and such like that to, you know, to make sure that he could cover all the shifts that he needed covered. Um, I didn't end up actually doing that, thankfully, but uh, basically this guy was kind of telling me that I needed to just go ahead and sever all ties with my previous employer and that they would take care of me. And I worked there for, I want to say, about two weeks before exactly what I told him I couldn't have happening happened, which is that I got my hours cut in half. Um, and then on top of that, they, they'll start sending you home early and then, you know, things like that. And I had asked why my hours are cut. Like, I kind of inquired around and, 
you know, because I assumed it was always the, the typical excuses they give you. And I found out the situation was actually far worse than that. Um, I was working as a dishwasher, and this company apparently has a policy that, you know, um, they don't generally even have a morning dishwasher. And that what they do instead is they more or less just kind of tell the waitresses who get paid $3 or less an hour because of the, the tipped wage, minimum wage rules, that they have to do the dishes. Um, and that way they can essentially pay somebody $3 an hour to do dishes so they can avoid paying even minimum wage to do dishes. And this is technically illegal, but it's extremely hard to prove. Uh, and the, the laws regarding it are a little vague. So, you know, I've looked into my options a little bit about that, but I haven't really been working there very long. So, But at the end of the day, uh, one of the things I actually like about the dishwashing job is that you get a lot of time to think and to meditate on whatever it is that, you know, you want to think about because the job's pretty simple, um, pretty repetitive. Um, but... At this point, because I have such a negative attitude, I'd walked in and noticed that they had, you know, clipped my schedule in half, and um, I just got to sit and think again about the mentality that we live in in this economic paradigm. Uh, that the wealthy, because that's the other thing about this place, the the guy who owns the place is a total jerk. Um, clearly, just like just endlessly power tripping, and you know, and it. It, it just keeps coming back to the, the stuff that the, the left libertarian said in his Work Sucks uh, video that you can find on YouTube. And that is that, you know, you're basically in a situation where you've created a new tyrant. Your employer has just as much power over you as, as any agent of the state, if not worse. Uh, that's actually, like, there was an interesting picture that somebody put up, and I shared it on my Facebook not long ago, of... Uh, like it had like that libertarian scale thing on it and it had like you know uh, left libertarian and it had you know statist on it and all the other just different varieties and then like it blanked out the area that's supposed to be right libertarian and it says does not exist because there's nothing different about tyranny of the state as opposed to you know and well in tyranny of private organizations <laughs> exerting power over you um and that's 100% the truth, really. Uh, nothing reminds you of that than seeing these people play around with your life. Like, they knew full well exactly what my situation is. And I'm already living an extremely minimalist lifestyle. Like, I almost never spend any money on myself anymore. I spend most of my money on my kids, uh, their activities and such. Um, and... I budgeted myself to have a very low uh, monthly requirement to survive. And even that is proving to be difficult. Because all it takes is these people to clip one or two days off my schedule. And then I'm suddenly in a lot of trouble. And basically I think what really bothers me the most about it is that this is a willful, intentional act wherein... They knowingly and willfully put you in a scenario where they're going to hurt your family. You know, they're going to they're gonna take things away from your kids. You know, or even just for you, if, if you don't have kids. They know that. It, it's part of their design. They, they are fully aware that they are manipulating you through the power that they have over you as the employer. You know, and I've ranted about this in the past, obviously, more than one time on V Radio, like the, the lady that I worked for at a 7-Eleven once who you know, agreed to give me one Sunday off uh, a, mo you know, a month, and you know, one day she schedules me for that one Sunday off I was supposed to have, and she's like, yeah, I know I told you I was going to give you one Sunday off a month. I also know that you need a job, you know, and you have kids at home. Like She literally just laid it out. You know, at least I'll give her that for being honest, but she was basically, you know, she just lied to me when she hired me to get me in the door, get me dependent on her, um, and then as soon as she wanted to change things, she just did. And 
I know that the free market types will tend to say things like, you know, well, it's at will employment. You can always find another job, find a better job, this, this, and that. But it, it, depending on the economic circumstances of an individual, that's just not always the case. And they know about that. The, the employers are fully aware of that. And I, I think one of the other... And there's a lot of weird things about this job. And I talked to one of the managers, a fairly attractive lady, who is always talking about how she's single and it bugs her. And I asked her, you know, like what her what her social life is like, and she said, you know, well, I don't really have any friends. I was like, well, why? You know, and she's like, well, you know, this place is my life. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is a restaurant. You know, and, and it's, I kind of got the impression after being there for a while that that that's what's expected. That 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 got, the guy really likes it if your entire life revolves around him getting rich. And anything short of that is something that you get a little bit of contempt for. Like, I could tell, for example, that you know, I made it clear to the guy when I hired in that my availability would have to be that I'd have to go home every day when my kids were getting out of school because I don't have any child care. And when I was hired in, that was, that was told that was just fine, and it was pretty clear to me that the management, that the other management didn't like that. They, they weren't on board with that. <laughs> you know, and... Um, in fact, one of the last times I worked, they, they informed me that, you know, uh, regardless of that, if they didn't feel I had done enough work for the day, they were just going to try to force me to stay. And, and I guess it, it's interesting that how, how the fact that the people that work for you are also people and have lives seems to more or less disappear from their heads. It, it's not that I'm going home to play Xbox, I'm going home because my children are going to walk in the door every day at a certain time, and if I'm not there, then I will lose my children because the state will take them. (laughs) You know, I mean, aside from just the obvious thing, you know, that you shouldn't leave your children unattended, well, duh. But that's not on their radar. What's on their radar is, you know, their bottom line. And as the economy crashes and as more and more of the the state safety nets put in place by the various liberals and democrats you know are cut back and relaxed you know it actually reminds me of robert reich did a really good video called uh, the war on the working class and the poor um and like i think it's under 2 minutes and he talks about what are they really after oh well they they really want us to be as desperate as possible the, these employers want you to be as desperate as possible. And if you're not desperate enough, then they'll, then they'll pull on the leash a little bit. you know. But it's not like a leash just as in keep you within the rules. It's one of those metal leashes with the, the metal prongs that stick into your neck that they put on certain breeds of dogs. You know, um, it, it really pinches back at you. you know. And what's worse is that they're putting that leash on your children, too. They're, they're putting that leash on the people that are depending on you. You know, and... <laughs> At one of the points, this went on, you know, the guy said, you know, well, if you want more hours, open your availability. And I was like, if you guys can't give me hours in the four days that I was supposed to be working, how are you going to suddenly afford to give me hours otherwise? You know, and, and I've done that dance before. What tends to happen is that you'll still end up working two days, but you'll be working on the weekend. You know, <laughs> it, you'll be working, you know, whenever is beneficial to them. They're not going to give you more hours. They're just going to give you the hours they want to give you. Um, and to hell with your family or, or anything else. And it's not even that I'm opposed to working on weekends. It's that, once again, when you're in a certain situation financially, the option to work when you don't have child care is just not on the table. It's not, you know. And uh, they don't usually say this out loud, but, you know, the thing that you know that they're thinking is, well, why did you have children then? Well, I, like many pre-divorced Americans, when I decided to have children, thought I was going to be in a fully functioned, a fully functional relationship where I'd have a partner who I could depend on who would also be responsible for my children and would be able to help me through things like that. You know, people don't just, at least not everybody anyway, who gets into these financial situations, contrary to the stereotype that they, they give about us, you know, not everybody who's poor and has kids on welfare plan to be in that situation. Um, And with divorce rates on the rise, uh, that trend's only going to continue. 
to, to get worse and worse. You know, especially with the, the family unit, more or less, just kind of breaking down. Um, and that's another thing I've noticed throughout all of this, is that my family, as far, I mean, outside of my children, obviously, uh, their helpfulness in these situations usually amounts to useless advice on Facebook that is not in any way beneficial, nor will it help in any of the situations that I'm in. They, they never offer to help. You know, uh, the, the contrast... For example, between that and good friends of mine, you know, uh, at one point, uh, for example, the water heater uh, in my other house kind of exploded on the bottom and leaked water, was ruining my, my kid's floor, and I posted about it on Facebook, and, you know, some of my family members, of course, posted, well, this is why people have homeowner's insurance, and blah, 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 you know, just a bunch of stuff that wasn't in any way to get to help me, but, you know, meanwhile, my friends were like, we'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> and they were too. They they came over with their tools and they helped fix my floor. Um, I guess that's more or less kind of a tangent, but I guess it all kind of plays into the the kind of stuff that was going on that that made it hard for me to do V Radio the way that you would come to expect it. And um, so now where I'm at is is a. Uh, I was basically called last night and, and told that they didn't need me this morning. And as a result, now I'm down to one day a week. Um, I'm inquiring around and, and putting feelers out there with other employers to see what I can do. Um, at least as of the time of this recording, I am currently fundraising to try to reactivate my Blog Talk Radio account. Um, I'm about halfway there on that. I mean, I have no idea you know, how, how that's going to go. Um, people have been very generous, and I really appreciate that. Uh, but because of this uh, and the the other circumstance, I mean, I, I started out financially fine before I started this new job. Um, then you go through that long period where they, they hold your payback for a certain period of time before they'll pay you, and I really struggled through that. And then as soon as I finally did get paid, it was only for like half a week, um, because of the the way that the pay period worked out, and then my next paycheck was also small, um, and then now my hours are cut in half, so my following paycheck is also going to be small. And I'm picking up shifts at some of my former employers. Like I I left on good terms um, with them, but it's it's really hit or miss at this stage of the season as to what will be available. So. I guess to long story short it, uh, I have all this free time, and I have been kind of itching to to get back on. You know, these situations really put into perspective to you why you became an activist in the first place. Um, and I'm going to do my best, I guess would be the way to put it. Uh, can I promise that V-Radio will be as good as it was before? No, I can't promise that, but I will do my best. I'm going to try not to make all the episodes into just rants and, and whining and boohooing about my situation, um, which I share my situation more to the point to just kind of share with you the insights that I've gotten that are relevant to the direction. You know, people have said to me that, you know, they want more shows about the RBE, the resource-based economy model and all that, and I do plan on doing that. Um, there are some other things that I have been having issues with lately that I'd like to discuss with my audience, um, specifically on the, the social justice issues and the way that they seem to be dividing us, um, some of the more recent world events that have been going on and, and what I think that they mean. Um, and in addition to that, you know, just to try to, once again, you know, offer a voice that's counter to the the official narrative that we're being given. And uh, another thing that I have kind of drawn a lot of focus to lately is uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and his campaign for president. And some of you may remember my Use the Political System as a Soapbox blog that I wrote on the Zeitgeist blog a long time ago. Um... Yes, it's true that the, the system is rigged and all that jazz, but I keep pointing out to people that you can support a political candidate and you can even vote 
and it doesn't have the effect generally that you're going to get somebody elected who's really going to be able to help, but it draws does draw attention to issues. And the example I generally bring up, for example, is that all of this started, for me anyway, in 2008, when I watched a video called Ron Paul Courageously Speaks the Truth. And in that video, Ron Paul basically kind of rebutted Rudy Giuliani's Islamophobic nonsense um, and just talked about the reason why people in other countries hate us. And that moment seriously stuck in my mind, and I still remember it to this day. When my friend linked it to me, they, they were saying, do you think this guy's for real, you know, or is he just saying this stuff? That's what he. That's how the conversation started. And then after I got involved with the Ron Paul stuff, I didn't 100% agree with everything that Ron Paul was saying, but his foreign policy and his civil liberties attitude was extremely refreshing. Um, did Ron Paul have a chance of winning the election? No, he didn't. But he absolutely changed the dialogue. Uh, he absolutely brought attention to a lot of issues that were incredibly important and changed the social awareness of the situation. The Federal Reserve wasn't, for example, being spoken about at all, really, um, outside of really fringe circles, until Ron Paul's campaign for president. And the same thing can be said about Senator Mike Gravel, uh, Congressman Dennis Kucinich. You know, yeah, it is all part of the rigged system, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, in many cases, these political campaigns are a window to get the attention of people that otherwise would not normally pay attention. Um... And that's exactly it. I mean, there would have been, for example, no V Radio if there was no Ron Paul 2008 campaign for president. It never would have happened. It, it wasn't some obscure documentary somewhere on the Internet that woke me up that got my attention. It was a politician standing up and saying the truth despite the fact that he was going to pay for it in the polls and more specifically pay for it you know, in the eyes of the media that got my attention and brought me here. And I, I'm definitely not alone. Um, I am no longer by any means a, a Ron Paul libertarian, but I still support him on a lot of issues. Um, and I should make a clarification point. Um, Rand Paul is not, in my opinion, like his father. I don't really equate the two of them. I think Rand is, like, way out there sometimes. And the difference is, is that there are still things that Ron Paul says that I 100% agree with. But to get back to the point, the reason why supporting Bernie Sanders is so important is that this guy is getting national attention. You know, he's not in a situation where Ron Paul was. He's not in the situation where Mike Gravel was. He's not in the situation where Congressman Kucinich was. He's not a fringe candidate. He's not this guy that's getting 2% of the airtime. The media is trying to ignore him, but they can't ignore him in debates. He's considered the second-place runner and the front-runner in some places. Um, and he's talking about the issues that we really want attention drawn to. Income inequality, for example. Big deal with him. Poverty. Big deal with him. Um, you know, he also talks about, you know, uh, just uh, basically, I mean, just listen to the guy talk. You know, people are always like, well, he's just another politician. I'm like, well... If that's what you think, you haven't been following Bernie Sanders. This guy has been the same sincere individual for many years. He's been a, like, we're talking about decades. He's been a thorn in the ass of the establishment from the beginning. He's the only, well, he's not technically an independent anymore because he went ahead and joined the Democratic Party because it's really the only way you can get on the ballot anywhere. Um, and it's the only way you can get into the major debates. But he was an independent senator from Vermont. And his voter base loves him. So he was an anomaly. He didn't need corporate money to get elected. And doesn't need corporate money to stay in office. And as a result, you know, very much like Kucinich. Kucinich, for example, they couldn't get rid of him for the longest time because his voter base was also largely populated by uh, people who remembered what a great mayor of the city of Cleveland he was. So in order to get rid of Kucinich, they literally just had to redistrict his district out of existence and then put him in an election for another district that where his, a lot of his you know, voter base wasn't even there. You know, uh, that's one of the advantages that Senate has over Congress as far as, like, if you're going to be a partisan. Elizabeth Warren is the same way. They can't really get rid of her. You can't just gerrymander a senator out of office because you're dealing with generally the entire voter base of an entire state. So... 
Um, you know, and Elizabeth Warren's another person that I think really deserves our respect, despite the the problems with the political system. You know, she's coming out. She's getting a national stage for you know for these issues. She's bringing these issues to the public. Once again, whether or not she's ever president, whether or not Bernie's ever president, is completely irrelevant. You got to think of the people that these people are waking up, introducing to these ideas, these these attitudes. You know, um, and the democratic socialism model is a hell of a lot closer to the RBE than any of the standard systems that these other people have been puddling. So you've really got to put it all into the big picture and, and understand that, uh, yes, the political system is broken, but that doesn't mean that we can't, to some extent, use it for our own purposes. So um, that's why I endorse Bernie Sanders for president. And, I mean, I've got one of his banners up on my wall. I've, I've got one of his T-shirts I wear at public events. i got one of his buttons I put on my backpack that I carry around and such. You know, will he just snap his fingers and bring about an RBE? No. But his attitude about taking care of people and the idea that taking care of each other and working together towards the future is the way to do things is a step in the right direction. We have to be realistic about the fact that people are not just going to all just jump on board the RBE bandwagon. We've got to get people thinking, first of all, that it's even a good idea to care about other people. That it's even a good idea that people need to work together towards a better future. Democratic socialism is not in any way more uh, sustainable than any other ism, uh, but... The, the attitudes of it, you know, it's, for example, I think you'd have a hell of a lot easier time convincing a democratic socialist to go to the RBE than you would, uh, well, obviously a conservative or even just some of the standard Democrats. So that's really where I'm at with it. And I hope that people can consider that and should consider, I mean, even Peter Joseph shared a link to one of his videos not long ago, you know, but... Uh, energy put into Bernie Sanders' campaign to ensuring that he has a platform to continue to expose the real social injustices of this planet, you know, or more specifically, the United States, obviously, but he, he talks about things in an issue that all people on the globe should be considering. You know, any exposure we can get to a man that's talking like that is great, because regardless of what you and I think of the, of the political system, other people still believe in it. So giving up your opportunity to use the political system as a soapbox, as I said in my original blog about this topic, um, it just means they're going to give it to someone else. And the people who are asleep will continue to listen to those talking heads um, and, as and assume that they're going to have the answers. Well, this guy's giving answers that make a hell of a lot more sense. So it probably would behoove us to ensure that that person gets attention. So that's um, you know my Bernie Sanders rant. Uh, and I hope that you guys will, will take some time to think about it. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get him on V-Radio at some point. I'm also going to try to get Congressman Kucinich. Um, now that he's not in Congress, I'm hoping that he might have more time. Um, it's a little more difficult when I'm not... When, when I'm on a donation-based system, essentially, where I'm able to basically pay my bills and do V-Radio, it's a lot easier to schedule guests, because at that point I can just open it up and say, yeah, when do you want to be on, and then schedule the show accordingly. So, it'll be a little more complicated for me to do that uh, in the format that we have now, wherein, um, yes, I obviously would still love to get donations, and it would certainly help me have more free time to do more V-Radio activities, you know, but I obviously don't expect that the, the money's going to be there for me to be able to replace my, my jobs. Um, so that that just kind of has direct consequences, which is that it means that I'm going to do less shows um, than I did before, but I will still do them at least. Uh, now, uh, another hot-button issue that I'm just going to kind of touch on uh, is that I've noticed a trend that is really starting to concern me. I mean, rather, it's not starting to. It has been for quite some time. Uh the first time I was exposed to it was when I was at Occupy Detroit, and I never really realized just how far racial and, and gender activism had gone 
in the direction of becoming more divisive than it was beneficial. And so when I started speaking out against it, because I noticed a lot of Zeitgeist Movement and Venus Project-oriented activists were getting sucked into the, the social justice world, was that they kind of seemed to forget that Peter Joseph and Jacques Fresco, you know, it doesn't really matter what side of the resource-based economy aisle you consider yourself, both of which have openly spoken against movements like feminism, movements like, you know, well, we're a black rights, you know, activist group or a Hispanic rights activist group. And it's it's almost, I think what's most disturbing to me about it is it, it reminds me of conservatives trying to explain how the Bible is in any way compatible with their beliefs as far as, you know, welfare is supposedly sinful because the Bible would, you know, Jesus would not want food stamps. You know, just the, the, basically their attitude is completely at cross purposes with what Christianity supposedly says about charity and such. And I had similar conversations that really bothered me, you know, with long-time listeners who now just no longer talk to me anymore because I wouldn't go along with it. I think one of the most disturbing parts of it, actually, it started with me in Occupy. Uh, there were, I guess there's a, and I, I'm starting to learn more about it, but there, there's a, another group of activists called the, the MRAs, the Men's Rights Activists, and I really didn't know anything about them. Um, and some of my female friends from Occupy, and the, these are girls that I camped with, that I, you know, stood shoulder to shoulder with, you know, facing police and facing the crackheads in Detroit and the, you know, all the dangers of camping at Occupy Detroit. Um, so I, I thought I was really good friends with them. And I, I've noticed that... Uh, the the gender issue now is so polarizing and so charged that you can't even engage in a dialogue without immediately if i mean engage in a dialogue that's in any way deviant from the way they want the issue to be discussed without immediately being told you're a misogynist uh you can't uh, in any way criticize anything that they're doing or any attitudes that they hold or any approaches that they take without being accused of being part of this MRA group. I mean, in the conversation that I had, and I, I posted a screenshot of it once on Fans of B Radio Facebook group, but um, they were essentially, I guess they were protesting to get this MRA group's uh, gathering shut down. Like, they were protesting hotels and, you know, they were like, you know, you're you're letting a hate group in here and all that other stuff. And I, I basically said, hey, girls, I don't really know who these guys are, um, but I, aren't you kind of infringing on their right to peaceably assemble? And rather than in, in any way kind of dialogue with me about it, they descended on me like a rabid pack of wolves. Um, and within seconds, because I dared to challenge the narrative at all, I was immediately a, a woman-hating misogynist and you know, a terrible person and all this other crap. And i that's when I started to realize that, that this is all really counterproductive. Because it intentionally creates situations that essentially become breeding grounds for angst and vitriol. So you, you get really, really worked up and mad about it. And the more angry you get about it, the less rational you get about it. And that's not the way the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project suggests the thing should be handled. Um, the whole, you know, actually, before I went to Venus, Florida and met with Jacques, I still kind of felt that feminism and, and civil rights activism had their place. And they, and they do. Let me clarify. But... Fresco pointed out to me that you end up on a slippery slope. You end up only concentrating essentially on your specific group's issues. And in some cases, even as well-intentioned as you may be, it ends up turning into a, at the expense of other groups, I will fight only for the group that I am part of. Um, the other thing is that the power that you can get 
through this kind of activism becomes kind of addictive, and it doesn't take long before that power starts to corrupt things. You know, I one of the things that I, I learned later, um, for example, at Occupy Detroit, was that the first day of Occupy Detroit, because um, I had never encountered this, at least not initially, but they had kind of a meeting about who was going to talk to the press first. And one of my friends from Occupy Detroit messaged me later when I was talking about this problem, and he, he said, yeah, the first day that we were out there, that he this guy overheard one of the women there bragging about how they had made sure that no white males would be allowed to speak to the press on behalf of Occupy Detroit. Um, and that this was some kind of accomplishment. And I was really shocked and appalled at that. And I, I didn't really speak up about it originally because I still kind of assimilating into their culture, so to speak, and, and learning how they they do things. But eventually, over time, I started to realize that this was endemic of a larger problem. And that is that within those circles, in the pursuit of eliminating the perceived white male privileges, um that the privilege just kind of goes in the other direction when you're hanging out with those people. Essentially, if you're a white male, then you're not as privileged. In fact, you're basically on the bottom of the social totem pole. And people of color and people who happen to be women are far higher on the totem pole. And if you are a white male then you're kind of expected to be completely submissive to what any person of color or woman wants as far as the direction for the conversations to go and, and things like that. Um, there's actually a couple of parodies put out by a fellow who is, is a male but is not white. Um, one of them is called Modern Education, and it's, it's spelled wrong. And the other one is spell is other one is called equality, and those are meant to be parodies. And if you haven't watched them, I really think you should because the way the conversations go in these parodies remind me, in a very eerie sort of way, of exactly what it's like to be in conversations with people who are so fixated on that, fixated on the the social justice. You know, lining everybody up by labels. You know, well, you're black, this, and you know, and you're you're male, or you're or you're Hispanic, or you're a female. You know, just basically dividing everybody up by their differences rather than unifying people. We become well. These are black activists, so their their activism is a little more important than your activism because you're just a white guy. Um, and then, furthermore. It really strikes me when I read, like, Alternet or Huffington Post articles or, you know, what are considered to be left-leaning blogs and just how flippantly it is now acceptable to profile white males in anything. And the fact that they, the, the fact that it does not occur to them that if you reverse the terminology, if you said, black men do this you would immediately be labeled racist, you know, uh, or sexist, as the case may be. You know, if you said, well, women do this. Um, that's an example of the privilege just kind of changing hands. And while that hasn't gone, you know, really mainstream, thankfully, uh, within activist groups, however, it's becoming a very divisive force. It's dividing people. Um, there are friends of mine in activism that I, I can't even really talk to anymore because I don't, I don't, ascribe to this notion um, and what you kind of find is that when you're arguing with them about issues of equality if you want real equality it doesn't take long before you're labeled racist or before you're labeled sexist and the the outright bigoted statements that are made towards people who are white or male 
are just abominable to me. I just can't believe it how how bad it is. But they it it is it falls on deaf ears like they do not realize the implications of what they're saying. And worse than that, there's kind of like this uh fringe sociological movement that's trying to rewrite the definition of the word racism to exclude people of color from even being capable of being racist. And I did a blog about a a radio show with Brandy Hume about that a while ago, and and EJ uh, was on that show too. Um, But basically, I think what, what people are missing is the point, which is we need to get race out of the dialogue. Race is an abstraction, it's an illusion, it's not real. Um, and that's the direction we need to take the conversation. Not spend a bunch more time dividing people up based on their skin color. And the privilege conversation is another one that drives me nuts. I do believe, sure, that there there is a privilege for being a given race, depending on where you're at. That That's the part, I think, that people don't want to grasp it depends on where you are and the the roles of privilege change depending on where you are they're not the same they're not uniform you know uh and and what i usually point out to people because they've they've developed they've developed this attitude that systemic racism is is the cause for all income inequality and, and things like that but income inequality happens in countries where everybody is only one race. It happens in Mexico, where the predominant race is Hispanic, and there's no white people to blame that on. It happens in South America, where, once again, the, the majority of the population is Hispanic, and there's no white people to blame it on. It happens in Africa, where the majority of the population is black, and there's no white people to blame that on either. Um, the wealthy, in general, collude with one another on a global scale to try to ensure that they stay in power. Um, and that's, I think, really what people should be looking at. Like, if you go back to my social control and stigmatization video that I did for a, a Z-Day presentation a long time ago, um, you will see that the the real problem is hierarchy. Uh, that people will go into a circumstance and try to create a hierarchy. And that's something, actually, that the, the modern education... Uh, parody video really kind of elo- you know, eloquently puts is that the system that they want to move to, it seems like social justice warriors want to move to instead, is a system wherein people who come from uh, different minority backgrounds are the privileged. And people who don't are considered to be you know, on the bottom of the scale. And this approach is not going to create equality. And I hate to say this, but Sometimes I get the feeling that's not that's really what they want. They're they're not going to admit that, but they kind of enjoy the power they get when we go to activist meetings and the you know there's an effort made to be sure that white males are not allowed to talk. You know they enjoy that preferential treatment that they're getting. You know, and and that's one of the seductive powers of it. Which this is another thing that really peeves some people off, but when I pointed out, guys, this is this is not what we're about. You know, we will get equality, but it's through solving the underlying problems. You know, not by spending a bunch of time, you know, dividing people up by race and gender and determining who's more privileged than who. You know, uh, it's going to come about by just getting rid of the economic situation that creates all of this in the first place. And that when you devote so much energy to that kind of activism, you just kind of continue to reinforce exactly what the elite have always wanted us to do with this race crap. Like, if you remember, uh, I actually made a video specifically of just this part of capitalism and other kid stuff, and you can find it on my YouTube channel wherein he describes the kindergarten game, where a child named Rex gets to take over the kindergarten and he gets all the toys. And one of the first things that they say, you know, that he does to keep the kids in line is to divide them up by race, by gender, by religion. And that way he can keep all the kids in the kindergarten from ever unifying to, you know, to overthrow Rex. And so once again... 
their tool is dividing people by race. And when you participate in that, when you continue that, even if you think you're doing it for a beneficial way, when you continue when you, when you continue that concept, when you push it along and keep it alive, you are helping them. You're not hurting them. It, the, the tool of race as a divide, of gender as a divide, you're essentially keeping it in their toolbox. You are keeping it alive. And it, that does not mean for a moment that there are not people of color who are being oppressed. I guarantee it. That's absolutely true. But the way to fight that is to point out how ridiculous it is to profile people based on their race. And that includes white people. <laughs> you know, the entire concept of white privilege essentially assumes that every white person in the United States automatically gained some form of privilege and is doing well or better because they're white. And while that may statistically be true in some cases, that does not somehow therefore justify bigotry. The crime statistics will tell you that a large quantity of African American individuals are involved in crime. Racists would say that's because somehow black people inherently are more prone to crime. And that's bullshit. The reason why more black people are involved in crime is because at this time, more black people happen to dwell in the poorer communities. I grew up in such a community. And that is the underlying problem. The same issue does not continue in circumstances where people of color live in richer communities and in more equal communities. So people are not willing to confront the fact that as soon as they're saying, well, all white, cisgendered, male people do this, they're being just as bigoted, just as ignorant, painting with just as broad a brush and overgeneralizing just as much as some idiot who assumes that black people in his store are there to steal from him. It does not improve the situation to simply put the race-oppressed card on somebody else. We need to eliminate all of that crap at the root. We need to stop talking to one another that way. We, we need to stop referring to each other as given races. If you want unity and equality, if that's really what you want, you should be satisfied with that. It, we're all going to be equal. We will call out racism wherever we see it, but we won't try to rewrite racism as a definition, like, you know, as far as the rewrite the definition of racism to exclude ourselves from being labeled racist even when we're behaving exactly as bigoted racists do. Um, and, and as I've said before, the premise of rewriting the, the definition of racism is, is based on some concept that they're going to suggest that you have to have some form of financial or institutional power to be racist. And i got to tell you, I grew up, when I wasn't in, the, the portion of my life that wasn't in the ghetto, I was in the white trash trailer parks in the South, which, just for the record, are just as poverty-stricken as the ghettos in the North. And those people didn't have any financial or institutional power to speak of. They were still racist as hell. And when you apply that to them, the, the, the language, they, they don't like that. They, they don't want to face it. They don't usually have an answer for it. You know, because at the underlying, it's not really about wealth. It's about race to them. They, they basically want to rewrite the concept to mean, well, no, only white people can be racist. Not only people with wealth and power can be racist. You know, they don't... And if you, and if you give them a what if, like, well, what if somebody who happens to be wealthy was in a position of power to, you know, maybe they're your employer and they're an African-American and they, you know, they, they lay off a thousand white people and put them in a state of poverty because they don't like white people. Is that going to somehow be racist? Because now that person has institutional and financial power. They, they don't, they kind of get quiet when you bring that up. 
because that's not really what they're shooting for. They're shooting for only white people can be racist. I think all of this is crap. It's all crap. And people are being caught up in it, and we're putting a lot of attention into it. And it's so divisive that it's hurting our activism. It's hurting our unity. It's hurting our ability to work together. And I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that this current upsurge in racial and gender-based activism is an accident. I think that it's completely socially engineered. I think that the movements like the Occupy Wall Street movement made the elite nervous. So their answer was, well, we need to deploy our typical tactics of dividing and conquering these people and keeping them from working together. You know, we can't have them organizing and, you know, making actual changes. We've got to keep these people under wraps, man. You know, so let's make sure we get them out there. Uh, Let's get all of the women mad at the men. And let's get all the people of color mad at the white people. You know, and that way we can keep them all fighting each other over the scraps that we throw off the table and then they're not thinking about us. That That's the underlined point of critical thinking that Fresco imparted to me. And a lot of people I have found have been trying to say, well, no, no, Jacques would agree with us, and et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't. Never has. He absolutely understands that racism exists. He also understands that the solution to racism is not, in turn, more racism. It's not trying to pretend that racism only happens to black people. It's not trying to pretend that gender issues, you know, are only something that women deal with when they're not. We have to stop divvying up um, privilege points, as, as the uh, as the education video would say. We have to instead be focused in unity together on getting what's best for everyone. You know, and p- people want to talk about privilege. I, I often bring this up, and and ironically. Very ironically, the people that I have the most coherent conversations about issues of race and privilege with are the black friends that I made because my kids are involved in the sport of boxing. So we basically you know, talk to people who actually live in, in rough neighborhoods all the time. Um, and they get it. And there's actually a a couple of different videos called White People Are Not the Problem that you can find on YouTube, um, wherein they discuss, you know, we need to stop focusing so much on the white man did this and the white man did that, and we instead need to focus on what can we do to better our own communities? (laughs) What can we do to fix our own problems? Um, And one of them just publicly decries, for example, the various just random acts of violence that that people are encouraged to mete out against white people in the name of we were oppressed by some other white people, so let's just beat up these white people. Um, And I I listened to what the guy said, and I realized, man, just even just being somebody who grew up in the same neighborhoods this guy does, race off the table, he's right. You know, uh, so... I know that some people have been emotionally charged to be offended by what I just said. And I'm trying to say to people, it's not about that. That this is not about black people this, white people that. It's about the fact that it shouldn't be black people this and white people that. And anybody who subscribes to that crap is being hoodwinked and controlled and manipulated by the people who are the actual problem. Your problem, if you're a person of color, is not a low-income, you know, fast food worker who happens to be white. (laughs) Your problem is the people at the top who want us 
focused on fighting each other so that we don't do something and, say, organize another labor movement, you know, another union group, so that we don't do things like organize into another Occupy movement. Those are the people you need to be worried about. Not the privilege that other poor and struggling people who happen to have white skin may or may not have, in your opinion. If you want to end police brutality, resource-based economy cares that. If you want to end poverty and income inequality, resource-based economy cares that. If you want to end gender inequality, resource-based economy cares that. But the only way we're ever going to achieve an RBE is through a state of unity. And the way this activism is working is not getting that. Another interaction I had on Facebook recently, I guess the Black Lives Matter group at one point started doing protests where they were shutting down certain highways by just walking out into the road. And the conversation that went on on about this issue was pretty rough. But I just kind of sat and read it and... Uh, people were pointing out, you know, because basically the, the suggestion on the picture, which was essentially the meme that started this conversation, was should these people be arrested for, for blocking traffic? And um, what came about in that conversation was, well, no, that doesn't make me in any way more, some people were saying anyway, you know, it doesn't make me any more uh, sympathetic to their cause. If anything, it actually just turns me off to their cause for them to do something like that. Um, and I agreed with that. That's that's not constructive at all. The people that are your problem, if you're in the Black Lives Matter movement, are not the people that you're stopping on the freeway, you know, and making late for work, you know, or making late for, you know, doctor's appointments or whatever, you know. And that was the point I made. I remember said I I said in the conversation I said you know well guys you know stopping these people from getting their jobs and getting them fired or interrupting their, their family issues, you know, is is not going to help your cause. It's just going to irritate people, and then they're not going to care anymore. If anything, they're going to start opposing you. And one of the commenters literally said, you know, um, and pardon my French, fuck your family functions. There are some things more important than your destination. And then it just so happened that somebody who happened to be there that day, the Black Lives Matter shut down that... Um, freeway said well actually um fuck you then because there i missed well my daughter had a neurology appointment this is a little girl it was very hard for me to get this appointment because i'm low income and we missed our appointment because they shut down the freeway and the general attitude was that apparently this child's life was not as important as them needing to shut down the freeway. So again, ineffective activism. You don't get people to be sympathetic to your cause by annoying and pissing them off. You get the opposite effect. But some of these people are so angry, they just want to get back at someone. And as a result, they don't really think out the big picture complications that they're creating for their own movement when they do this. There's, once again, there's too much emotion and not enough thinking. There's too much not on the same page. And make no mistake, folks, the people who are actually benefiting from the system the way that it is, they're all on the same page. They go to their Bilderberg meetings and trilateral commission meetings, and they all get on the same page. They don't spend a whole bunch of time on the races or creeds or religions of they themselves. They do spend time talking about how they're going to use those differences to their advantage in us. As long as the wealth continues to trickle up, they don't don't care about all that. That's not really relevant to them. Race is just another tool to them. Gender is just another tool to them. Religion is a tool to them. And... So, I plan to go into this topic a little more 
Um, I've talked to Aaron Moritz a little bit, and he's talking about maybe coming on with me to discuss some of these issues, being as how he kind of is part of one of the minorities because he's homosexual. Um, and my issue with it is only that people do not recognize the damage they're doing to the movements that can actually fix the problem. So, for better or worse, uh, V Radio is back. I don't know what form it's going to take. You know, I don't know uh, how things going forward are going to work exactly as far as I'm going to do my best once again. But the circumstance is a lot harder when I don't have donations. As it is right now, um, I almost have, I think, about $2 short of activating my Blog Talk account just because of the way that the PayPal system works. Um, but I've also got to pay my internet bill, which is way behind. And if that gets shut down, then it's going to be you know, virtually impossible for me to do my shows. Um, but one way or another, I'm going to generate content somehow, even if I've got to go to the library and, and write a blog or something. So... Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Um, remember, vradio.org is currently down. Uh, and just use the V Radio blog and the V Radio Facebook groups from now on if you want information about V Radio. All of the shows are still up on Blog Talk Radio. And they're there. And uh, some of them cover some of these issues. And I really, as far as capping off what I said before, do a Google search on. Reverse Racism, written by Peter Joseph. Because he talks about just the various problems with, with racial and, and gender-based activism. Because I was more or less crucified for speaking out on this issue, and people have literally tried to narcissistically rewrite history of the Zeitgeist Movement, rather than face the fact that that's not what this movement has ever been about. It's not how they handle things. Because that's how they want it to be. It all reminds me of the the lunatic, Bodicius Sky, who wrote some blog post saying, racism and sexism in the zeitgeist movement, four alarm alert, wherein she went to just say that we were obviously all racist and sexist because we weren't focused on gender and racial issues. So, use your critical thinking, folks look at the big picture. If you want to talk about privilege, this is another thing that really makes me chuckle. If you're concerned about privilege, the average Iraqi citizen would happily take over your life as a person of color or as a female who feels oppressed in the United States of America. They would happily take that from you. They'd happily live your life. Do you have drinking water? Do you have an environment that isn't polluted by weapons-grade plutonium? Are police shootings bad? Of course they're bad. But since that's how they always tell you this, you know, is that uh, violence against white people is irrelevant because it's not as bad against violence against black people. Is generally the attitude that's being given. See how that, that, the, the race just keeps coming into the middle of everything? Okay, well, fine. You know what? If that's how this scale works, go watch some video of what it looks like when a drone blows up a wedding and the carnage that gets unleashed there, and then compare it. The average activist is not comfortable with that conversation. And my solution is not to say, let's create a meme that says Arab lives matter. My solution is to say, we need to focus on what's creating all of these problems at once and cut off the head of the snake instead of spending all of our time on the symptoms. Even if the Black Lives Matter movement succeeds in absolutely everything that it wants to, it's still taking an aspirin to get over the headache you have for a brain tumor. I know that some of what I've said is polarizing, and I know that some of what i said in the past on these issues has caused some people to turn away from me or to stop following my radio show, but 
V-Radio has and always will be my sincere and honest expression of how I feel about the world events. And that's the kind of show I run. I, I lost a lot of listeners that I had before when I wasn't a libertarian free market guy anymore. But if that's what you're looking for, which is somebody who's just going to sit there and parrot exactly what you want to hear, this is not your show. Go listen to something else. If that means I don't get your donations, hey, I get it. But I'm not going to pretend to be whatever the hell you want me to be to get your donations. If, if that's what you were looking for, that was never me. I'm not Stefan Molyneux. So, I'm going to uh, upload this hopefully today. I'm um, like only, like I said, a couple of dollars short for my goal. And uh, I will hopefully have another episode tomorrow because I'm, despite the fact that I was supposed to work tomorrow, I wasn't scheduled again. Um, and hopefully with a little more structure. This was me just kind of getting my feet wet again, so to speak. And uh, we'll see where it takes us. So check out the V Radio blog. Um, I've, I mean, I haven't put anything new on there, but there's still a link to the shows. And you can obviously Google V Radio, V hyphen Radio on Blog Talk Radio and find all of my archives. Um, if you'd like to donate, obviously, I would appreciate that. And you know, once again, the more donations I get, the more free time I'll have to make shows. Um the donation widget is now on the blog in the upper right-hand corner. If you go to V Radio blog, if you search that, you'll find it. Um, and uh, if you have ideas for shows and such, the VTV at V-Radio uh, email is currently not functioning, but you can contact me via Facebook. Uh, my Facebook account is now Neil Kiernan. Both of them are uh, with the Bernie Sanders for President logo. So, Thanks again, folks. Talk to you later.